everything he's tried to do up to that point. He made a bad decision. He thought it was better to live among the Philistines than it would be to live at home. It's safer to live with the enemy than to live with friends. So he went to live with the Philistines. There he became a king. He was given the city of Ziklag, and David was one of the kings of the Philistines. God hadn't intervened. David would have been guilty of the blood of Saul because he joined the Philistines to go to battle against Israel, and Saul died in that battle. God hadn't intervened. He would have had major problems in his life. He would have never become king. God intervened. And so David writes about some of these things. There's the five stages of grief located in this scripture. There's all kinds of things you can preach about here, but I want to focus your attention on the very last phrase of this because David recognizes that there is an incredible need to lay down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Over the last four or five years, I have been reading the writings of a young medical doctor. His name is Andrew Newberg. If you read his life story, you'll discover that Andrew Newberg was raised in a family. His dad was a lawyer, and his dad did not believe in God. He was an agnostic, and he taught him all his life there was no such thing as God, that God was simply part of of the brain's ability to create a myth. God was no different than Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, or any other mythological story that men believed in. As a child, he would argue with his dad, how can you prove that? Dad's a lawyer, so he would use his deductive reasoning to try to prove why God didn't exist. But somehow, it didn't affect this kid. And as he grew up, become an adult, went to college, decided to study medicine, became a psychiatrist and a radiologist, and decided to study the human brain. So he began to try to prove that God was not real through the brain. And as he did his research and studied the human brain, his first book is entitled, Why God Won't Go Away. Last summer on national television being interviewed, I believe, on NBC, he made a statement that if you say God doesn't exist and you deny the existence of God, there is part of your brain that doesn't work. If you say God is real and you believe in God, that part of your brain is highly active. He calls that area of the brain the God neurons. Man was designed to need God. You need God in your life today. Without God, your life is a wreck. They will never prove that God is not real. I don't care what Hawkins said or any of the others that tried to say God is not real. They don't have a clue. God is real. 
we need him in our life. The psalmist says that I need safety. Thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Andrew Newberg says the most difficult thing for your human brain to do is to perceive reality. You can perceive the reality of everybody else, but you can't perceive the reality of your own life. The reason is you can't see your world. You can only see a very small part of your world about this big. And you really can't see all of this. Actually, all of your world you can see is a little circle in the middle about this big. And when my vision moves across this auditorium, all of the other parts of my vision become blurred. I can't see everybody at one time. As a result of that, my most powerful human need is to be safe. There is no need greater. While I am speaking to you today, your brain is checking your environment out on a minute-by-minute minute and second-by-second second event. It's, it's constantly checking. If it sees movement that's unusual, your head's going to turn to try to find out what the movement is. If you hear noise that that you don't understand, your head's going to try to find out where that noise is coming from because your most powerful instinct is to survive. Survival is in every one of us. And here is the problem because of what's happened in our world over the last 12 years since 9-11 because of what's happened, our whole world has gone into a survival mode. And the church has joined it. We are just as terrified as the world is. Our, our senses are always on alert and we're always looking and, and, and anticipating and thinking about uh, uh, how safe am I here and, and is this a safe environment. We're controlled by two dominant emotions, anger and fear. They dictate everything about your life. And men have more of a problem with these issues than women do. Why? Because God ordained for you to protect your family. When I go to the Bible and start looking at the need for safety, and I start in the garden, I discover that when God created Adam, placed him in the garden, that God gave Adam two jobs. His first job was to dress the garden. That means he was the janitor. Gentlemen, there is no such thing as a place you don't have to work. Even in paradise, Adam had a job. In the air-conditioned climate of a garden that God created where he didn't get too cold or too hot. He still had to keep the place clean. 
gentlemen, it is your responsibility to keep your home clean. I can do all kinds of meddling today if I really wanted to, and the odds are I might do a little. You are the priest of your home. The role of priesthood wasn't simply to participate in sacrifice and religion. The role of the priest was also to decide who comes in and who goes out of the tabernacle. The priest stood at the door and watched the men that showed up. And if they had any kind of defects in their bodies, they were not allowed in. It is your responsibility to stand at the door of your home and define what comes in your house and what goes out of your house. It's not your pastor's responsibility to do that. It's not the youth department's responsibility to do that. It's not somebody. It's your responsibility. Now you want to scream at the ladies about modesty. Modesty wouldn't be an issue if you didn't like it. If there are modesty issues at your house, it's because you like the show going on at your house. Women are not visual. Women have never responded to what they see. Woman's not responsive to what another woman looks like. Matter of fact, she could care less what you look like. She's not affected by your looks. You're the one that has a problem with looks, not her. You're the one who has the problem with the eye and the wandering eye and, and things that you let in life. If, if there are modesty issues in, in our church, in our world, it's because every man that's there enjoys it. Silence is not golden, it's consent. I'm amazed at what I see around Pentecost today. You know, folks... We live in a world that's challenging holiness and, and, and what we stand for. And some of this stuff, you don't even need a Bible to deal with. Paul said, doesn't nature teach you something? Let, let me take you to the mall, okay? Let's take you and your wife or your girlfriend to the mall. And, and, and let's walk through the mall and, and let's see what happens when... Another woman approaches you that's not dressed modestly. Does your wife run up and hug her and say, Oh, thank you for giving my husband a thrill? (laughs) 
if looks could kill, there'd be a permanent hearse at every mall because her eyes will lock onto that woman and she will follow her as she walks by because she's saying, this is my territory and don't you get around it. Now, if that's not an issue, you don't need a Bible to address some things. You can't see you. You have no clue what you look like. You can see my world. You can see the, my loss of hair and, and the sagging skin and all, all, all the problems that, that age has. You can see that. I can't. I don't have a clue what I look like. You can't hang enough things on it. You can't paint it. You can't stain it. You can't do enough to it to make you feel one ounce better about yourself. The lie that i got to fix the outside, that's a lie. There's no truth to that. That means the inside has so many issues that you got to change the outside just to protect what you're trying to hide on the inside. Package is more important than content. When you praise your daughters for what they look like, you're teaching them that their outside is more important than anything. You better never address what they look like on the outside. Your world knows what you respond to. If they want to sell you some kind of tool, they'll put it in the hands of a woman who's dressed and modest. They know how to get your attention. We've got to make our home safe. You want to protect your home, you better make sure of what you drag in it. You feed your children junk, well, don't expect to get nothing but junk out of them. You feed them Hollywood, well, don't expect to get anything other than Hollywood out of them because that's the appetite you've given them. You haven't made your home safe. The men of our world need to stand up and say, you know, enough is enough. We're not going to tolerate those kinds of behaviors. We're not going to tolerate that kind of thing anymore. We're going to take a stand. So here's the problem. A woman has absolutely no clue what you deal with in the visual department. They have no clue of the battle you fight with your eyes and what you look at. It's not their battle. It's your battle. They have no clue when their clothing is not proper. You're the only one who does. There were times I had to stand at the door and tell my daughter, Honey, that would that fit when you were 11? That don't fit at 14. I don't want men looking at you because of your body. I, I'm wondering where some of you are at and what you're tolerating when I see your kids show up at church. Just because it's to the floor and to the ankle and to the wrist doesn't mean it's modest. If it looks like a second layer of skin, there's no modesty to it at all. Why is that happening? Because all you grinning men enjoy it. 
The modesty issue of our world is because of us. It's our appetites and all the junk. And as a result of that, what are the issues we're dealing with today? If I brought all the pastors back up here that were standing on this platform last night and I started asking, what's the major issue you're dealing with with your teenagers today? You want me to tell you what they are? Sexting? Oh, I've been to many churches where uh, just not long ago I was called because a pastor had 27 of his young people sending naked pictures of themselves to each other during church. Pastor walks into a church and two boys sitting on the back seat have their phone out and they're online watching porn in church. Now, where did all that come from? Well, there's just some dads that are not standing up dealing with issues they ought to be dealing with at their house. Or maybe you enjoy it as much as they do. Is that the problem? Sixty-seven percent of American men admit an addiction to pornography. That number applies here just as, remember what I said yesterday about church? Add ten to it. Why? Because we don't keep the house safe. We haven't spent the energy to keep the house safe. There are consequences to choices and behavior. And if you plant a seed, you're going to get a crop. What you plant today don't show up tomorrow. It shows up years down the road. David's trip to the Philistines produced an Absalom. If David hadn't lived among the Philistines and that boy hadn't experienced the torment and the terror of being taken captive by a foreign army and drug off as a slave, his dad never protected his home. And I really don't find anywhere in my Bible where David ever protected his home. Matter of fact, David's family was so terrified of him that at his death, on his deathbed, his wife is challenged to go talk to David and her response is, I haven't been invited. If I go in uninvited, you know he can kill me. Joab's trying to get Bathsheba to go talk to David because Solomon is not going to become king. His brother is trying to take over the kingdom. And his brother, you see all the chaos in David's family? There was nothing but war. Well, if you have 14 wives, there's a good indication that's going to happen. It wasn't hard for Solomon to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Dad had 14. 
So we never talk about some of these stories, do we? David never made his home safe. David was constantly trying to talk about safety and the need for safety, but he himself never practiced what he preached. It is better for you never to say something than to say it and not live it. If you want your children to have a healthy relationship with God, you better live out everything you say you believe. Don't tell them one thing and live something else. That old stupid statement we have or proverb, don't do as I do, do as I say, that's a lie. If you can't live it, keep your mouth shut. You have no right to tell anybody how to live their life if you won't live yours right. David didn't make his world safe. And as a result, David's family was chaotic. Adam didn't make the garden safe. His second job was to keep it. That means guard it. That's a military term. God gave Adam the responsibility of defining who comes in this garden and who goes out of this garden. God allowed Adam to say whether he could come or not. Adam was given total responsibility of the garden. You define who comes in and out of here. And Adam let Satan in. If your home is chaotic, it's because you've let Satan in. Satan cannot come to your house unless he's an invited guest. Paul said, don't give place to the devil. The literal translation says don't build a room on your house for the devil to live in. If the devil's at your house, it's because he's invited. Remember what I said yesterday? Victoria has no secrets. You have young boys growing up at your house, you better be careful what you let in that house. I walk into homes and these things laying on the coffee table and I'm thinking, what in the world are you folks doing? I see tabloids from, from the grocery stores. Got all kinds of dumb stuff on the front. And, and what in the world are you bringing that junk to your house for? Sports Illustrated. Why do you take it? Because that yearly event that comes out that you want to look at. See, there's not a woman can talk to you like I'm talking to you. But I'm old enough. I got eight years left of my life. God promised me seven. There's eight left. I'm not going to spend the rest of my eight years dealing with your junk. Grow up. Get your life right. You know where your issues are. You don't need somebody telling you you shouldn't. You know what they are. Clean your house up.
Do you understand that over 90% of pornographic hits on websites on the internet are from young males between the age of 12 and 18? What kind of protection do you have on that junk at your house? Have you just, we thought television was bad. And we've opened the door for a technology. I'm dealing with, with, with a young man that, that he, he know, he has gotten around every safeguard that his parents have put on their computer so he can go to a pornographic website. He's so addicted he's not but 17 years old. Why? Because your world knows how to wreck your kids' lives. Now, before we get one-sided here, i got to address the other side. There are two forms of pornography. There's the one that men respond to and the one that women respond to that's actually a bigger industry than the one that men respond to. And nobody ever says anything about it. Men are visual. We're going to look at the pictures. You're going to look at the movies. You want to see it in real life. Real life doesn't bother a woman. If a woman is addicted to pornography, she's got the spirit of a demented man attached to her that's addicted to it. Remember what I said about having sex yesterday? You walk away with them attached to you. Whatever problems they've got, you're going to have. God never intended for sex to be casual. Matter of fact, here's the problem. When a male, I'm going to get real blunt. If I embarrass you, I'm sorry, all right? Hope there's no ladies around. If they are, they're going to get embarrassed. When a male becomes sexually aroused and gets an erection, you know how that happens? It takes blood. Where does that blood come from? The frontal lobe of your brain where your conscience resides. When you get aroused, you lose your conscience. If that woman you're involved with doesn't have one, there's no deviant act you will not commit. You become nothing but an animal. You'll wreck her, you'll hurt her, you'll destroy her. You'll make her do things she's not comfortable with. You'll demand things out of her. Why? Because we're not making our house safe. You better know how to put a limit on your life. You better learn how to draw some lines around your life and say, I'm not crossing these. God created that marriage to be a healthy relationship where two people connect and share because God created it to be that way. But it requires safety for that to work. Why do we have such a problem with safety? Because we've taken our natural defensive mechanisms and turned them into our sources of pleasure. 
God didn't give you fear and an adrenaline rush to give you a high. God gave them to you to let you know you're in danger. Get out of this environment. Your world has turned them into sources of pleasure. There's not an amusement park that stays open that doesn't have some kind of ride that has a sign that says, if you get on this ride, make sure you don't have high blood pressure, heart problems. And there's probably a list of 20 diseases you shouldn't get on. If you've got them, don't get on this ride. Does that keep you from getting on it? No, it's the longest line. You love to be terrified and to see how much terror you can withstand. Why do you want to jump out of a plane? So you can get an adrenaline rush. You're addicted to fear. It's your drug of choice. You get addicted to fear. Anger is going to be the next thing that shows up in your, your life. And you're going to become addicted to anger. And it will become your drug of choice. You get a higher high out of anger than you can any synthetic you put in your body. Gentlemen, there's no reason for you losing your temper and going into rages. It's your drug. You're getting a high from it. You got to learn how to control the stuff and not allow it to dominate your life. Your world gives you excuses for it. Your world says you got a type A personality or, or, or you, you know, you're just quick tempered and you, you can't control yourself. That's a lie. Your world's lied to you about all kinds of stuff. You don't have a quick temper. You just enjoy the thrill. Anger shows up, your blood vessels dilate. Your blood purges itself from unneeded gases so that it can take on more oxygen. Oxygen with adrenaline rushes to your brain and you get a high higher than any synthetic you could put in your body. Oh, we're not going to preach about that. Oh, it's okay for you to scream and rant and rave and, and break things and tear things up. How many holes have you poked in walls? We helped a family move and noticed pictures hung at unusual places. And when they started taking them off the walls, there's a footprint or a shoe print in the bottom and a fish print in the top. And you can laugh at it, but you understand how deviant that man was? He wouldn't even fix what he did, so he was reminding everybody at this house, this is what I'll do to you if you don't behave. There's no reason for you being out of control. None. If you're out of control, it's because you enjoy the ride. If you didn't, you'd quit. Last time you did that, anybody at your house run up and hug you and say, My, this feels good? Did they beg you to do it every week for the rest of their life? No, they won't talk to you for days. Shouldn't that give you a clue it's bad behavior? Do you learn from your mistakes? No, you enjoy them. 
and you make excuses. Well, she knows how to tick me off. Would you please grow up and act like an adult? You're going to make your world safe. Now, you're three part. Your body, actually, that's not the way Scripture says it. Well, that's the way we quote it. Body, soul, spirit. The Bible says spirit, soul, body. The Bible puts emphasis on spirit first, soul second, body third. We put emphasis on body because it's all about the body. You are spirit, soul, body. Each one of those require a different form of safety. Who's responsible for your spiritual safety? God is. God is the only one who makes this house safe. You can't. I can't. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what was how did he teach them to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, when you read that from our translation, you don't get the emphasis of what was said. Every one of those verbs are imperative. They're in the middle voice. That means the subject participates in the action. Jesus taught us to pray by reminding God it was His responsibility to hallow His name. Our Father, which are hallowed be, you hallow your name. You bring about your kingdom. You bring about your will. It's not our responsibility to produce God's will. It's God's responsibility. I can't hallow His name. God hallows His name. God blesses you in spite of your dumb stuff. Why? Because His name is attached to you and He's going to make sure His name don't get tarnished. His reputation is at stake. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake because His reputation is on the line. It's not about you. Would you please get yourself out of this picture? That's our problem. Our world's taught us all how to be self-centered jerks. The world's about me. I talk to men all the time that, that say, if my wife would just meet my needs... You little child, grow up. You meet your own needs. There's not a human alive that knows how to meet your needs. There's no USB port in the side of your head. She can't plug in and download your data bank. She has no clue how you think or what your needs are. She's not responsible for them. You are. We become selfish and self-centered. Everybody else is supposed to take care of me. Brother, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, Brother White, with what you said last night. I hate sports. Biggest bunch of spoiled brats that exist. Narcissistic, sociopathic, self-centered, don't care about nobody but themselves, and they're your hero? How do you, how do you think they pay that $12 million salary? All those caps and shirts you wear.
Now, if your children start acting like them, you have no reason. You, you can't gripe or you can't complain because you introduced them to it. You didn't make the house safe. We can't even pay school teachers enough to live above the poverty level and we pay those jerks $12 million to do nothing? What's wrong with us? How does that happen? The men of this world don't care. You're in more involved or concerned about feeling good than you are right and wrong. See, there's some things you just don't need Bibles for. Paul said, doesn't nature teach you some things? Why don't we start thinking and quit complaining? Research says the world will never affect your children as long as you know where they're at, who they're with, and what they're doing at all times. You keep your nose in their business. You know who they're with, what they're doing. Remind them you know who they're with and what they're doing. And their friends will never affect their life. The only reason your kids get involved in drug, sex, and alcohol is because you check out and you don't make your house safe. So here, here's the problem. Americans can't tolerate pain. So you start hurting a little bit. First thing happens, they see you over there at the cabinet popping the door. Got your hand full of medicine to take care of this pain a little bit. And then you get a little injury. Doctor gives you some... I'm metal. I know I am. He, he gives you some Tylenol with a little kick to it. It has five milligrams of hydrocodone with it. And you start walking on the clouds. Ooh. And your brain says, my, this feels good. But you got it from your doctor. Yeah, so you pop one and it takes the pain away and then you have pain again and pop another one, it takes the pain away and and, and you, you have pain again, you take another pop, it, it takes the pain away and then you go a couple of days and your brain says, hmm, liked it. So you pop one without the pain. See, there's more addiction to pain medicine than there is to marijuana and heroin. And you get it. And, 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 and you, that, you know, you, all those bottles lie in your medicine cabinet. Why? I have two ruptured discs in my back today. When I stand here for an hour, my legs will go totally numb. And you'll watch me stumble as I walk away. I live in pain every day of my life. But I'm not taking one pain medicine to numb pain. You say, Brother Hughes, you don't understand. No, you whining baby. 
I've had this finger smashed off. You didn't make your house safe. We can't even pay school teachers enough to live above the poverty level and we pay those jerks $12 million to do nothing? What's wrong with us? How does that happen? The men of this world don't care. You're in more involved or concerned about feeling good than you are right and wrong. See, there's some things you just don't need Bibles for. Paul said, doesn't nature teach you some things? Why don't we start thinking and quit complaining? Research says the world will never affect your children as long as you know where they're at, who they're with, and what they're doing at all times. You keep your nose in their business. You know who they're with, what they're doing. Remind them you know who they're with and what they're doing. And their friends will never affect their life. The only reason your kids get involved in drug, sex, and alcohol is because you check out and you don't make your house safe. So here, here's the problem. Americans can't tolerate pain. So you start hurting a little bit, first thing happens, they see you over there at the cabinet popping the door. Got your hand full of medicine to take care of this pain a little bit. Then you get a little injury. Doctor gives you some... I'm metal, I know I am. He gives you some Tylenol with a little kick to it. It has five milligrams of hydrocodone with it. And you start walking on the clouds. And your brain says, my, this feels good. But you got it from your doctor. Yeah, so you pop one and it takes the pain away and then you have pain again and pop another one, it takes the pain away and and, and you, you have pain again, you take another one, pop, it, it takes the pain away and then you go a couple of days and your brain says, hmm, like it. So you pop one without the pain. There's more addiction to pain medicine than there is to marijuana and heroin. And you get it. And, 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 and you, that, you know, you, all those bottles line your medicine cabinet. Why? I have two ruptured discs in my back today. When I stand here for an hour, my legs will go totally numb, and you'll watch me stumble as I walk away. I live in pain every day of my life. But I'm not taking one pain medicine to numb pain. You say, Brother Hughes, you don't understand. No, you whining baby. I've had this finger smashed off. 
This one was laying on the floor between my feet. I don't have a collarbone on this shoulder. I've had surgery on both knees. I've been struck by lightning. I've been hit by an 18-wheeler ruptured disc in my neck. I've been hit by a car that ruptured two more discs in my neck as well as one in my back. Don't tell me about pain. Oh, but you don't understand. I, no. You don't, your world's made it too easy for you to get addicted. And you open that door to addiction and, and, and your kids start saying, well, daddy takes it, so why, what, why can't I use a little Oxycontin? Why? Because your world's not safe. Pain is part of life. Pain is not your enemy. It's your friend. Through suffering was Christ made. (laughs) Through what? Oh, He had Tylenol to take. You think Paul had some Tylenol after they stoned him to death and took him outside and throwed him on top of the dung pile? What about the times he's beaten with a whip? We're the whiningest bunch that's ever lived. We have become crybabies. You know, Brother White, you were you were mild last night. I heard I, I've heard the old, I've heard Brother V. A. Gidros cause everybody in the house to turn red in the face. I heard Brother Dees tell his church one night, you're a bunch of titty babies. You're over behind the door sucking your thumb. We've been so afraid of offending somebody, making you feel uncomfortable. Why? Because we, we don't like discomfort well conviction is discomfort are you taking something to numb the discomfort God's trying to bring to you when conviction shows up at the house are we so terrified of conviction that that nobody preaches conviction anymore but but why I applaud you for what you preached last night because we need to be reminded it's better for us to be on our knees than our feet it's better for us to learn how to fall in the floor prostrate before God than shout and run an aisle. It's easy to preach people to their feet. It's difficult to get them on their knees. You've got to make your house safe, gentlemen. God makes it safe spiritually. You make it safe physically. Your children shouldn't be afraid of you. When you walk in a room, they don't cower or hide or, or they, they have reactions that, that they're terrified you're going to hurt them. If you discipline your children in anger, you didn't discipline them, you got even. You are abusive and God hates it. If you let anger control you whenever you're Dealing with a child, you're going to hurt them. And God said it would be better you're buried in an unmarked grave than to do something one of these. Don't you know 
that my father has assigned an angel to them and their angel is always in the presence of my father. Why? Because that's my child. I gave them to you to treat with dignity and respect. Not to allow your addiction to wreck their life because you like the thrill of getting high. And then there's this area of safety that has to do with our emotions. The soul. Who makes your house safe in the soul area? Well, I can promise you it's not you, sir. You don't have that ability. God didn't give it to you. See, God gave you the ability to provide and protect. And here's the premise you live by. Kill and eat. That's how you handle problems. Just kill it. Makes good supper. You don't have patience. You're not kind. You're not a good teacher. If they don't learn the second time, the third time you do it yourself. That's our nature. It takes that little lady at your house that God gave the ability to have that child to bring emotional safety to your home. If you haven't made it safe physically, there's absolutely no way she can make it safe emotionally. If you haven't brought total physical safety to that home, there's no way she can touch that house emotionally and it become emotionally safe because she's living in survival because it's not safe around here. And when she's living in survival, there's no way that house is going to be emotionally safe. And nobody in that house is going to grow up and be an emotionally healthy adult. They're all going to grow up with issues and feel as if they're worthless. And it starts affecting everything about It starts affecting your relationship with God. See, this is God's family. We're the family of God. And your relationship to God is defined by your relationship to Dad. If Dad was hard, you're going to see God as being hard. If dad was never available, you're going to see God as being never available. If dad was demanding, you're going to see God as demanding. Dad was in your business all the time, you're going to see God as being in your... Whatever you see dad as, you're going to refer it right straight to God. Because Jesus twice said, if a child asks a father for a loaf of bread, would he give him stone? If he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? If ye being evil can give good gifts, how much more can your heavenly Father? God knew we were going to compare Him to our natural Father. And He wanted us to understand, you know what? God is greater than our human fathers. You're, you're evil. He's not. He's going to give you good gifts. You're never going to walk out of God's presence with your head down and your face red because God shamed you or embarrassed you or humiliated you. God has never embarrassed any of you. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word ashamed doesn't mean he's, he, he's not 
uh, he's proud of the gospel or proud to be a Christian, it literally translates that the gospel has never made me blush. I've never walked away from God with a red face because I've been shamed, embarrassed, humiliated. God don't do that to you. He expects you and I to do the same thing with our families. He expects us to be like Him. He wants me to take on His nature. And so that's why we've got to look like Him, act like Him, become like Him because that's the only thing that's going to make your house safe. You've got to prove to that lady at that house you'll die for her. You'll give your life for her. You'll do whatever's necessary to keep her safe. You'll do whatever's necessary to keep your children safe. You'll make sure that there's nothing comes in that house or goes out that, that's going to harm or danger them. You're watching. You're protecting because that's your responsibility. You do that. You free her to allow your children to grow up in a safe environment where they're not terrified of anything. If not, they're going to grow up thinking the church is going to abandon them. And they're going to grow up thinking the church, they can never please because they can't please her. They're going to grow up thinking that the church is detached because she's detached. And, and she's in her own little world and she's got her own issues so she won't have time to be with us. And you're going to start seeing the church through these things. And if you ever get involved in the ministry the odds are incredibly high. You're going to pass your church according to the relationship you had with your mother. Because this is mother. You don't think this stuff's important? So we're, we're not playing games here, gentlemen. God created the safest institution He could create for lives to be whole. And that's a healthy home. That's a husband that respects his wife and loves his wife and, and protects her. And that's a wife that loves and protects her husband and creates an environment where he, he can not be afraid of being emotional. Gentlemen, we, we're totally different they are. My brain don't work like my wife's. I don't have a clue what she's about. I've been trying to learn for 40 years. Every time I get it figured out, she changes. She just gets older. And then it changes again. Now I start learning something new, and then it changes again. i got to start learning something new, and it changes again. And it's just been that process for 41 years now. And I, I, I don't know that I'll ever figure it out. But that's God's plan. Why? Because God knows if you figure it out, you check out. To keep you involved, it has to change all the time so you don't get distracted doing other things and, and you don't get involved doing other things. And you pay attention. You make her world safe. And she makes your world safe emotionally. See, I don't call my friends to find out how their kids are doing. Men don't communicate, share information. My wife calls her friends, wants to know what the grandkids are doing, what, what they are doing, and it's all about sharing. My brain don't work like that. And here's the problem. And, and, and if you'll give me about five minutes, I'll be through. See this thing right here? 
You understand what it is? Do you really understand what it is? I had to say everything I said so I could address this issue right here. If I just addressed this issue, you wouldn't listen to me. Your sense of danger is defined by your five senses. What you look at, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, what you touch. Your most powerful ally is your vision. So you're watching. Second most powerful ally is your hearing. You're picking up noises. Then the next is smell. The next becomes taste. And the last is touch. There are very few things that we need touch to to tell us it's not safe. It's either too hot, too cold, or has some kind of electrical charge to it, or it's sharp. So touch is the minimum of those things. But here's the problem. Your world has taught you that touch is everything. So you're trying to touch it, and you can touch it all you want and not know that it's dangerous. Because it's not sharp. It might be soft. It doesn't shock you. doesn't burn you. It's not so cold you can't touch it. How'd Marlboro sell this to America? We invented this thing, by the way. How'd Marlboro sell this thing to the world? What was their slogan? Reach out and what? Touch somebody. What a lie. See, they taught you that hearing a voice is touching someone. So we first distorted our ability to perceive by lies of how we do it. You can say things on this you would never say in person. Because in person, if you've got a conscience and you say it and you see their response, it causes conviction and you shut up. If you've got a conscience at all and you're not a sociopath or a psychopath, and you start saying things that hurt and you see tears and, and reactions to faces, you stop. You can't see it here. So you can just go off on a tangent and you can say harsh things and hard things and because there's no sight to it. If I can't look my wife in the face when I'm talking to her, I really don't know what she's saying. Because there are some words like fine that are not... They're not definable by words. They're definable by expressions. How was your day? Fine. Okay, that, that frown on the face says fine is not fine. What, what's wrong today, honey? You quit looking in the eye, which is the window of the soul. And here's the reason we quit with the eye contact. 
because they can read us as easy as we can read them. And so we avoid eye contact because we don't want them reading us. So let's just do most of it here. And then it went from here to this clickety-click thing. I'm going to fire off an email. I'm going to text in capital letters. Do you understand how dumb we have become? You understand what we're doing? Okay, here's a problem. This little thing has no danger signs. You can jump on this in the presence of family that are making you feel safe. And you can just send off a message. So here's the problem with this dumb thing. If you call me, you expect me to call you back. If I don't, you get mad. If you text me, you expect me to respond. And you don't even have a clue what I'm doing. I may be sitting at the supper table with my family. and But yet, you are more important than my family is. And because I gave you my number... You think you have a right to use it any time you please. We have become selfish, self-centered, spoiled brats. Don't gripe at the world and the sports people when we are as bad as they are because we've taken, they're our hero and we're just acting just like them. Life's about me, and if they don't pay me what I want, then, then I'll go to the free market agency. And... So if she doesn't do what I want, there's several more that like to be at my house. They like the, the security and all this stuff's going on. So we just take that nature and attitude about everybody has to pay attention to me. Now... You're going to do it for the world to see. You're going to jump out on, uh, on Facebook and, 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 and post or write on somebody's wall. I got whipped for writing on a wall. <laughs> do you understand the world has taken everything that should be offensive to you and converted it so it's not offensive? So you have no clue what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. What do you have a wall for? You go do something real dumb, take a picture of it and post it. How mindless are you? Somebody objects and you get your feelings hurt. You spoiled brat. Grow up. I don't care where you eat. I don't care what your meal looks like. Do you understand what we think about ourselves? That there's somebody out there in cyberspace that might think I'm important enough to pay attention? Well, you have some real issues. You are admitting 
that you have self-esteem issues, you are admitting you have God issues, you're admitting there are all kinds of issues in life. And we've made church comfortable. You can be in church with an issue and never change. Oh, we're too afraid of offending people. We're, we're afraid the pulpit might offend somebody. So we're going to change the pulpit and get a little stand out here that, that won't be offensive. Yeah. So, so we're, we're going we're gonna to make the doctrine or the gospel, it has to be palatable to, to the world. They've got to like it or enjoy it. So we, we got to change its appearance so we can connect to them. Your world's not looking for they're They're looking for a place that's safe where their lives can be changed. And once they find that safe place and their lives change, they start changing their world and the world of everybody else around. The world's not wanting us to be like them. The world's looking for a place that people are staying the way they are. A very notable charismatic had some of our people go through his place awing at all he had done in his huge auditorium and his college and his buildings and and, and he started at talking to you. He said, you're Pentecostal, aren't you? Yes. He said, i got a question for you. Why are you folks trying to get to where we're at when we're trying to get to where you're at? How safe is this place? You guys define it. You make it safe. You make everybody around you feel safe. You say, oh, well, I'm just too old. You can't teach old dogs new trick. Oh, don't give me that garbage. My mother had a 15-year-old poodle about to die. Couldn't hardly walk. My three-year-old niece at the time taught that 15-year-old poodle how to roll across the floor on command. You can teach old dogs anything you want to teach them. Tell me you can't learn. Spoiled brat, grow up! You can learn anything you want. You can become anything you choose. You, you can do anything you choose, but you got to make it safe. And this is not safe. And too many of you are getting in trouble because there are no danger signs with this stuff. This is worse than that. Over the last two years, I, I, I have dealt with over 100 cases, most of it in the ministry, of homes that are now shattered. Because somebody saw their post on Facebook and, and responded by saying, great sermon. And they thought they well, had to respond, well, thank you. Next response is, can't believe, that was the most incredible sermon I ever heard. How do you get that information? Do you understand what we think about ourselves? That there's somebody out there in cyberspace that might think I'm important enough to pay attention? Well, you have some real issues. You are admitting 
that you have self-esteem issues, you are admitting you have God issues, you're admitting there are all kinds of issues in life. And we've made church comfortable. You can be in church with an issue and never change. Oh, we're too afraid of offending people. We're, we're afraid the pulpit might offend somebody. So we're going to change the pulpit and get a little stand out here that, that won't be offensive. Now, so, so we're, we're going we're gonna to make the doctrine or the gospel, it has to be palatable to, to the world. They've got to like it or enjoy it. So we've we got to change its appearance so we can connect to them. Your world's not looking for they're They're looking for a place that's safe, where their lives can be changed. And once they find that safe place and their lives change, they start changing their world and the world of everybody else around. The world's not wanting us to be like them. The world's looking for a place that people are staying the way they are. A very notable charismatic had some of our people go through his place awing at all he had done in his huge auditorium and his college and his buildings and and, and he started at talking to you. He said, you're Pentecostal, aren't you? Yes. He said, i got a question for you. Why are you folks trying to get to where we're at when we're trying to get to where you're at? How safe is this place? You guys define it. You make it safe. You make everybody around you feel safe. You say, oh, well, I'm just too old. You can't teach old dogs new trick. Oh, don't give me that garbage. My mother had a 15-year-old poodle about to die. Couldn't hardly walk. My three-year-old niece at the time taught that 15-year-old poodle how to roll across the floor on command. You can teach old dogs anything you want to teach them. Tell me you can't learn. Spoiled brat, grow up. You can learn anything you want. You can become anything you choose. You, you can do anything you choose, but you got to make it safe. And this is not safe. And too many of you are getting in trouble because there are no danger signs with this stuff. This is worse than that. Over the last two years, I, I, I have dealt with over 100 cases, most of it in the ministry, of homes that are now shattered. Because somebody saw their post on Facebook and, and responded by saying, great sermon. And they thought they well, had to respond. Well, thank you. Next response is, can't believe, that was the most incredible sermon I ever heard. How do you get that inspiration? Click. You start sharing. See, so you act like Hezekiah. When Hezekiah was about to die, the Lord said, get your house in order. He sent the prophet. And Hezekiah turns the wall and starts 
weeping and crying. He tells God, look, God, I did everything for you and you've done nothing for me. I I don't even have an heir to pass any of this on to and you're going to deprive me of the residue of my life. And when I, I, I cleaned your house up and he started telling God everything he had done, God sent the prophet back. So give him, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Isaiah says, 38th chapter, that Nerodach Baladan, the son of the king of Babylon, came to visit. And he was impressed because somebody's wanting to know about what he had done. And so he invites the grandson of the king of Babylon in and he starts showing him everything he has. He showed him his oil, his ointment, he showed him his treasure, he showed him his armament, he showed him where he kept his army, he, he showed him everything he had. The prophet came back to him and said, Who is this man? Well, it's the king of Babylon's son. What'd you show him? Everything in my kingdom. He said, God is cursing you. All your children will be taken to Babylon and they'll be made eunuchs. You were concerned about an heir, Babylon will castrate them. And Hezekiah.